0: Judges chapter number 16. Judges chapter number 16 tonight. uh, We have been going through uh, the book of Judges, uh, not last Sunday because we had a revival meeting, but the Sunday before we preached on the humility of Samson and how for the first time that we've looked at the life of Samson, he actually made a good decision uh, after he had gone up on the mountain there and his, uh, the countrymen from Judah had come to uh, bring him back to the Philistines and he asked them not to kill him, and uh, he said, "Make um, swear unto me that you guys won't do uh, do me any harm, and he used his humility to go down in front of the Philistines and let them bind him. He let his countrymen bind him, and they go down in front of the Philistines, and then it says the uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he breaks those ropes, and he destroys the Philistines right there, and then God does a victory through all of that, and it For the first time in chapter 15, finally, Samson says, Lord, thy servant. He actually humbles himself and gives God the credit for what had happened and all of these things. And you think, well, maybe Samson is getting the idea. Maybe Samson is learning his lesson. Uh, Hopefully, by now, after everything Samson's gone through, and all the th- the times that God has brought him out <laughs> of all of this trouble, maybe, just maybe, he's getting the picture. But then we come to chapter 16. And Samson is dealing with Samson. And let's see what the Bible says here. In chapter 16, verse number 1, Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there, and Harlot, and went in unto her. And it was told to the uh, Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they uh, compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, And put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. As I read this again, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? After Samson had just won this battle, after Samson had just done this, and then he was thirsty. Remember, he said, I'm going to die. Lord, thy servant is going to die. And even in the, the dead jawbone, he gives him water and sustains him. And all of this stuff that happens... And even in verse nineteen of Judges fifteen, where he says, "But God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water throughout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again and revived. Wherefore he called the name of the place in Hakor, which is in Lehi, unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. So wow, it's like man, God just revived him, just refreshed him. Everything's good with Samson, right? No, nope. now he goes to Gaza. And in the first sentence, first sentences of of 16, chapter 16, said, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw an harlot there and went in unto her. I'm going to preach a message to you tonight called toying with temptation. Toying with temptation. And let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight. Lord, I pray that you will just uh, use me as your mouthpiece this evening. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that as we uh, look through your word, Lord, that we will see the truths that you want us to know. And uh, Lord, just uh, guide my mind and my heart as we go through this message. Lord, help it to be preventative maintenance in our heart, Lord, not to mess with temptation, Lord, but to resist it. And uh, God, we ask you, please, to... Uh, If there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray they'll trust you tonight. Lord, would you strengthen us, encourage us this evening, and we'll give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about toying with temptation. You know, all the way back in the beginning parts of Judges uh, 14 there, when we start talking about Samson and all of these things, it talks about how he saw a woman of Timnath, which was of the Philistines and all these things. Samson had a problem with his eyes, didn't he? Samson had a problem with lust. Samson had a problem with Samson. He had an issue with controlling himself. And I want you to look quickly at James chapter number one. We're going to just hit this uh, verse and then come back to the book of Judges. But in James, if you'll turn there, please. Chapter number one, verse 13 through verse 16. The Bible says in this passage of scripture, says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It says, do not err, my beloved brethren. As I thought about this, I began to go back to a a book that I read one time on temptation and Uh, different things like that, and I begin to think about what temptation is, and I want to ask you a question, is temptation sin? It's not. Because the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Every one of us are going to face temptation in our life. Every one of us, no matter what we do in our walk with God, are going to come to the place in our life where Satan is going to do what he can do to tempt us to fall to tempt us to do wrong, to tempt us, to draw us away. And the Bible says in James 1, 13 uh, through 16, he said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. It says this, but every man is tempted, and then it tells you when. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It says then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And it says, do not err, my beloved brethren. That word E-R-R means to deviate from a path or line of duty. So what he's saying is we're not supposed to turn to the left or turn to the right. We're supposed to stay steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. But there's going to be a roadblock sometimes in our life called temptation. And the problem with Samson was that he just had a great victory. He had just got some re- rejuvenation, some life back in him. And now here he goes in the wrong direction again. He goes to Gaza. And in this passage we're going to talk about, this vulnerable position that Samson puts himself into, gives us a term basically as uh, what we've heard, uh, that's somebody's Achilles heel, their their weakest link. It's their uh, the thing that they go back to all the time, that besetting sin. This was uh, basically uh, Samson's, Achilles heel he was uh, he was the one that uh, basically is uh, when he saw he wanted and he was even so brash about it that he looked at his parents and said get it for me and it didn't really matter uh, what anybody else thought but guess what each and every one of us have our own Achilles heel every one of us have something that we're vulnerable in our area in our walk with God there's something that you might struggle with that I don't struggle with, and something I struggle with that you don't struggle with. We all have our own certain uh, situation that Satan knows exactly what it is. He knows exactly what that vulnerable spot is. For some, it may be money. Some it may be fame, popularity, pride, selfishness. Uh, some it may be lust. Some it may be greed. Some it may be gluttony. Some it may be all kinds of other things. We could list. The list could go on and on and on. But every one of us have our own situation that uh, when that temptation comes, we're either going to yield to it or we're going to resist it. And see, Samson's problem was he toyed with temptation because he thought he was strong enough. He thought he was strong enough to deal with it. I read a quote by a man named Oscar Wilde. He said this. He said, I can resist anything except temptation. And I thought, man, isn't that the sad statement? That we can resist anything except temptation? No, the fact of the matter is we need to resist temptation. Because if we don't, it's going to destroy us. It's going to destroy us. The only way that we get rid of temptation, uh, he said, is to yield to it. That's what Oscar Wilde said. That's not true. You know how you get rid of temptation in the Christian life is this. Resist it. Resist it. See, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. If you read through the book of Matthew, remember he was uh, fasting and he was uh, hungry and he's up on the hill praying and all this stuff and he was confronted by Satan. And Satan tempts him three times. He says, oh, you're hungry, How huh? Command these stones to me made bread. And Jesus combats him and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he says, oh, if you'll bow to me, look at all this that I'll give you, it all be yours. And he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he goes through all these things. It is written, it is written, it is written. See, Jesus was giving us an example that you've got to resist temptation. You've got to resist it. But see, Samson began to toy with temptation. And it leads us to the defilement of Samson. See, he's already been messing around with temptation in his life. All that we've read about, everything he, he was not supposed to do, he did. Because of the vow that he took, he wasn't supposed to touch dead things. And we know he took honey from the dead carcass of the lion. And then he gives it to his parents and deceives them, doesn't tell them what it was all about. And goes through all of this. And now he's in the place in his life where he's going to the place called Gaza. And in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And Samson and went... Then went Samson to Gaza. Now, I was just baffled by this statement because he had just had a victory, just had God to sustain him and give him refreshment from that water. And you would think, Brother Nick, that I know this says he, he, he judged Israel 20 years and this may have been a time, a period of time he was doing the right thing, but he had no control over his own self. The Bible tells us that he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. We're defenseless. But this defilement of Samson that we see after this uh, time period that we're faced with here in chapter 16 in verse number 1. He goes to Gaza and uh, the, the thing we need to understand about Gaza is it's in the wrong direction. This wrong location that Samson puts himself in is where he began to toy with temptation. It was something he knew he struggled with. It's something he knew that was a, a besetting sin or an Achilles heel to him. But yet he saw Gaza and he started heading that direction. Listen, he was in the wrong location. He wanders off to the city of Gaza. I'll give you a little history of Gaza. Gaza was the oldest city, the largest city, and the chief city of the five Philistine cities. It was one of the three where the giant Anakims dwelt. And it was a very important strategical location because it was located on a military and commercial highway between Egypt and Babylonia and Asia. It was at the southern end of the Fertile Crescent. It was considered the gateway to Africa in the south, Syria in the north. And because of its location it was conquered by every world power who dominated the Middle East because it's such a very uh, wonderful place to have your strategic military uh, situation set up in Gaza. In 332 BC, there was a the siege of Alexander the Great, which lasted five months. He killed all the men, sold all the women and children as slaves, and Gaza was given the name, and it means Strength. Strength. And people look at that and say, well, wait a second, that was a Philistine city. How does it mean strength? Listen, the world was trusting in what they could do, their abilities. And they looked at Gaza and they thought, wow, we have some of the Anakims, the giants here. Man, we're in this location that's very strategic and we have the advantage over our enemies because we're in this place. It was built on a hill 70 feet above the fertile plains that were around it. It had, very, it had many wells, some being as deep as 150 feet. There was plenty of water, plenty of food. To the west, there were sand dunes, which obstructed the view of the Mediterranean Sea two and a half miles away. There was olive groves and wheat fields and gardens surrounding the town in abundance. The houses were full of sparrows and gardens with doves, and you could hear the sounds of the birds chirping. It seems like a wonderful place. This is all about history of Gaza. You would think, well, no wonder Samson would want to go there. No wonder Samson would look at that and look at all these places and say, wow, there's plenty of food and there's plenty of water. And man, the birds are chirping all the time and it's a a safe haven to be in and all of these things. And the Bible says this, that sin is fun for a season. And when you look at it, it just seems so enticing and it seems so alluring and it seems like, wow, the grass is greener over on that side. And You begin to look at all the things that was in Gaza. There was that constant sound of the chirping birds and, and air hangs over Gaza, though. The stones of the houses are saturated with salt, which disintegrates the houses quickly. Gaza was also a place of spiritual decay. See, these because of where it was near the Mediterranean Sea, the rocks they got to do it had salt in them. And the houses would begin to decay and all of those things. And it says that even though it was pretty, even though there was food, even though there were things like this, the houses that things were built upon would decay quickly. They had to constantly be trying to fix them because of decay from the salt and the rocks that were there. It's a picture of our life when we try to go to Gaza There's spiritual decay. It was a place of sensuality and wickedness. Samson toys with this temptation and he rapidly decays. After a great victory, after getting the victory of God, now he comes to Gaza. And guess what? Just as the, the foundation of those buildings were decaying, his spiritual foundations decaying Because he's coming to a place that, oh, it may have had... Gardens and olive gardens and all these well-watered plains and different things like that. It had a bunch of wells for drinking and things like that. But it was a place of wickedness when you got inside the gates. It was a place of decay spiritually. And the very first thing you read about in verse 1. He walks into the city and when Samson comes to Gaza, it, it says, And he saw there in Harlot and went in unto her. Wow, hold on. He wasn't there for good, was he? He wasn't going there to try to win people to the lost. No, he was going there because of the direction that he was headed. See, he was in the wrong location. Let me give you this statement. It doesn't matter where you spend your time. If you spend your time in the wrong place, you'll pay the price with your character. It doesn't matter what place you go to. It doesn't matter where you spend your time. If that is the wrong place, if that's the wrong place, guess what? You're going to pay the price in your character. Your character is going to decay. It's going to happen. Evil places have evil people. They do. The word of God warns us to avoid Satan's traps in these areas. If you go to Proverbs chapter number 4, I'll flip over there quickly to Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs 4. Now, Proverbs is a book of what? Wisdom. Okay, Proverbs 4, verse 14 and 15. Look what it says. Enter not into the path of the wicked. And go not... In the way of evil men, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. You know what the Bible tells us? Does it say, hey, come out here and enjoy it for a while and then go live your life the way you want to? No. It says avoid it. Get away from it. Why? Because when you put yourself in an evil place with evil people, guess what you're going to do? You're going to spiritually decay. You're going to spiritually decay. Worldly people and carnal Christians sometimes may make fun of you or question your refusal to go to places where sin abounds. And oftentimes it just takes that little bit of peer pressure to get us to just yield. I didn't read anywhere, Brother Nick, where somebody said, Hey, Samson, why don't you come down to Gaza? I just noticed that he had been looking that direction He saw that it looked good, and he started heading that direction. Sounds like a guy named Lot, doesn't it? That he just went and put his tent in the direction of Sodom. And then all of a sudden, he becomes a gatekeeper, one of the higher-ups in the city. How did he get from just the well-watered plains all the way to Sodom and Gomorrah? was he headed in the wrong location, the wrong direction? And see, some of our biggest problem is we head in the wrong direction. David was supposed to go to a battle. It was a time when kings were supposed to go forth to war. It said, but David tarried in Jerusalem. See, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And the reason a lot of times that we uh, begin to toy with temptation is because this, we put ourselves in the direction where temptation is. We don't allow the word of God to be that lamp unto our feet and that light unto our path. But the Bible tells us to enter not into the path of the wicked and to go not in the way of evil men, to avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, pass away. So there's a lot of times that people may call us strange. They may call us holier than nows. But you know, it's better for me to be scorned by a sinner than to be scarred by sin. It's better to be scorned by a sinner than to be scarred by sin. I'd rather have every sinner in town laugh at me for not going to the bar than to be scarred by sin. I'd rather have everybody in town laugh at me because I'm not willing to go and yield to this temptation than to be scarred for the rest of my life because I wouldn't resist temptation. But see, Samson began to toy with temptation. Listen, you'll find out that many of your critics, many of those people that criticize you, Many of those people that'll make fun of you and mock you, they suffer from the sinful scars of the same places that they're laughing at you for not going. And if you really got down to the seriousness of it, they would say, don't do that. Don't go there. But you know what? If you go, it makes them feel better. And a lot of these same people that'll mock you and criticize you are suffering from the same scars of it. They're suffering from the turmoil of toying with temptation. But see, not only in the wrong location, we we, we look at the second thing that began is the wrong look. Look what it says. Then went Samson, the wrong location, to Gaza, and saw. He saw there in Harlot. Samson had an eye problem. Not just a prideful, me, myself, an eye problem, but an actual physical eye problem. You say, what, did he need glasses? No, that's not what I'm talking about. His eye problem was, the Bible does say, you heard Brother Nick say it this morning, our eye affects our heart. Our eye affects our heart. And Samson saw this woman that wasn't doing the right thing, this harlot lady, and he sees her, begins to lust after her, And he did not guard his eyes. And in not doing so, guess what? It affected his heart. And it says he went in unto her. So the wrong look. The wrong look. Samson's eye problem still existed. That's what happened in Timnath with that woman. He saw that woman of Timnath and he said, get her for me. And now here he is in this. See, if you don't guard your eye gate, you will defile yourself. If you don't guard your eye gate, you will. But the Lord tells us this in Matthew 5 28. He said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman and lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart, with, or hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So Samson, David, Solomon, uh, all of these guys, Judah, all had an eye problem. They began to wreck their lives, didn't it? They had that lust of the eyes. See, the Bible says all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. See, even Eve, she saw that the tree was good for food. And it was desires to make one watch. You know what? Her eyes affected. She had the wrong look. She looked at it not as, Brother Nick, that was God telling me no. She looked at it as, well, maybe it is good. Maybe it is good. All of these wrecked their lives because of this eye problem. Our attitude should be the same as David when he got enlightened. When God said, hey, you know, I don't know. God tells me some things sometimes. He calls me names, brother Eddie. I know he does. Maybe it's just myself calling me names. I think he's calling me names. Because sometimes I think, you know what, knucklehead? You just need to straighten up. And I'm thinking, did he call me knucklehead? What's going on? And I begin to look at all this stuff, and I begin to think, you know, Psalm 119.37 said this, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in the way. Psalm 101.3, one of my life verses, the psalmist said this, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. I hate the work of them that turn aside, it shall not cleave to me. See, the fact of the matter is, if we don't look on something to begin to lust after it, you have a tendency to be able to resist it. See David's problem was when he saw Bathsheba. Remember he turned away and he began to turn back and he began to lust after her. The fact of the matter is we got to protect our eyes. The lust of the eyes and the flesh combined had this combined grip on Samson's life. And he became a slave to his passions. You know why? Because he started out in the wrong direction. He had the wrong location and the wrong look and guess what he ended up with the wrong lady. It said he went in unto her. This wasn't an accident. He he made a choice. And listen, when Satan comes to us and tempts us, we can't help it that we're tempted by Satan. But what we can help is how we respond to that temptation. We can respond to all that. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, to take heed lest he fall. See, Samson's overconfidence in himself, his overconfidence in his own strength and his own ability. So far, he's not been hurt by the Philistines. So far, guess what? He has been able to just win the battle. God's blessed him. He's done what he wanted to do, and it just seemed like, hey, God just kept blessing. I'm just going to keep doing it. Well, listen, the grace of God is supposed to lead people to repentance. But he allowed the grace of God in his life to turn him back to his own passions and his own desires. He began to toy with temptation and it resulted in trial, trouble, and turmoil in his life. So we have this decline of Samson where we begin to look at it. We have this, now he's being discovered by the enemy. In verse number two, look what it says. And it was told, the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither. Samson was a marked man by the Philistines. And now he's discovered of being in their city. He was told that he was there. See, sin believe, makes us believe that we can toy with it and nobody's going to know that we're there. That nobody's going to know, no one's going to see, no one's going to discover Any of this. But Samson goes down. He sees this woman. He goes in under her. And guess what? It's told to the Gazites. Guess what? Samson's here. He didn't broadcast. Hey, I'm Samson. Let me in. They knew who Samson was. And guess what? If we do anything for God, Satan knows who you are. You're a marked person in the devil's realm there. He knows who you are. And when you begin to come into his territory, guess what he's going to do? Hey, Look who's here. Look who's here. So the discovery of Samson is here. It's evident. But it's a great lie to think that you're going to be able to hide it. Samson got caught in Gaza. And guess what? So will we. So will we. This The destructive attitude that the Philistines had is what is a destructive work of sin in our own personal lives. There, as soon as they heard that Samson was there, they weren't saying, oh, let's just, let's just sit by and do nothing. Oh, they had a strategy. Even though they, they lay in wait, they had a strategy. They weren't going to say, oh, let's just let him free this time. You understand, Satan doesn't take prisoners, Satan destroys. He destroys. You say, what do you mean he doesn't take prisoners? The Bible says we're bound. Oh, yeah, we're bound by sin, but guess what? You know what his whole purpose is? Not, not not to hold you for ransom. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. You get bound by Satan. His intention is to put you on the gallows. That's Satan's intention in your life. I want to talk about some of the things that sin does and what rep- is represented here in this passage of Scripture. Look what it says in verse 2, and it was told, the Gazite saying, Samson has come hither, and look what it says, they compassed him in. I want us to see under this section here about Samson's life, this area in his life, this discovery of Samson, I want us to see firstly under that is the compassing work of sin. That's what happened, they compassed him about, they surrounded him. The cry of our day in America is this. We can do our own thing. We live the way we want to live. We can do what we want to do. And guess what? You're right. You can. You have the ability to live how you want to live and do what you want to do. And you have the freedom to do your own thing. But guess what? Sin doesn't bring freedom. It restricts freedom. See, when we're born again in Christ Jesus, we've been given liberty, freedom from sin. But we begin to go back to the same thing that held us bound and captive before. And we think because we have liberty that it's an occasion we can live like this and we're not going to be bound again. Listen, you're not going to be lost again in your salvation, uh, from your salvation, but you can be bound by sin once you're saved. You can be in bondage headed for destruction. And guess what sin will do? It'll encompass you about. There's a lot of critics that say God's way is no fun. There's no freedom to do what you want to do. You're a slave to God. I've heard people say that. How is it free will, Brother Nick, if God demands it from you? How is that free will? Let me explain something to you. When you chose Christ, you know what you willingly did? You gave yourself to him. And the Bible says you're bought with a price. But you know what? Even in the fact that we've been purchased by the blood of his son, he still gives us a free will to choose to either live for him or not. But he commands us to be holy as he is holy. And he tells us to do all these things and follow in his footsteps. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, how in the world is that being set free? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus isn't leading you into a bondage situation. Jesus is bringing you out of bondage and bringing you to the place of heaven one day. And listen, you can live without the guilt of this world. You can live without the baggage of sin all because he's the one that carries it for us but sin has this compassing work listen the the truth of the matter is this that satan's way restricts it robs us of our joy and freedom sin is like this boa constrictor that just wraps itself around you and begins to squeeze tight listen i'm a big guy and i've held a boa constrictor before and you know what, Brother Eddie, that it wrapped around my arm one time when I was younger, and I was at, it took everything I could to try to unwrap that thing. Can you imagine what that serpent, the devil, is going to be able to do to you? The fact of the matter is, sin constricts. It crushes us. There's consequences for sinful living. Sometimes it's disease, sometimes addiction. Sometimes financial loss, sometimes trauma, sometimes depression. So many other things we could go through. Not all the time is that a consequence of sin, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. But there's a lot of people living with guilt and remorse because they chose to just toy with temptation. And they begin to go in the wrong direction, had the wrong look. And then they begin to. Have sin begin to destroy their lives and they got discovered for what was going on. Listen, sin robs us of our freedom and your joy while you're here alive on this earth. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. But sin makes you live with a constant guilt where you don't have that joy and you don't have that peace. And it all starts by just heading towards Gaza, just like Samson. I mean, he just got a victory. Just got the water and the sustaining, and now he goes into Gaza. And his eyes are in the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing. There was that compassing work of sin. There was the composure of the work of sin. What did they do? How does sin present itself? Look what it says. It said they compassed him about and laid wait for him all night. You know what decomposure of sin is? It lays in wait. Satan's that one just sitting out there saying, come on, one more step. Just one more step. If you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, you don't have to turn there right now, but the Bible says this, he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. And he that breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. A serpent shall bite him. See, Satan's that that hunter that's standing on the side waiting for that big buck to walk through the edge of the brush. He's standing there with his arrow drawn, just saying, oh, come on, big guy, one more step. Just one more step. Just as I sit in the tree stand, and I'm waiting for that deer to come, and he's, it seems like they're always behind this brush, you know, where you, where you need to shoot them. And you say, just one more step, man. You take one more step, and you're mine. That's Satan towards the Christian. Those fiery darts of the wicked, he's sitting there saying, Come on, guys, one more step. You know what? It's not gonna hurt you. Just one more step. And he's laying in wait for the perfect time for us to just step out and expose that vital part. See, you know what I when I'm sitting there in a tree stand, I see this deer coming, I'm ready, I've got my bow ready, and I'm drawn back and I'm waiting just one more step. You know what happens sometimes? That deer stops. And he just begins to look around. He's thinking, whoa, something's not right. All of a sudden that tail goes up and boom, he's out of there. And he's gone. And then I sit there all defeated. Because I'm like, man, the deer got me. But you know what? We heard this morning about not being ignorant of Satan's devices. And Satan's there waiting just one more step. See, but you know what? Samson wasn't even being cautious. Samson wasn't even saying, well, I wonder, is this a good place to be? Is this?" He wasn't questioning. You know what he did? He just walked right out in the open. And Satan said, gotcha. Gotcha. Because you know what? They were laying in wait. The Philistines let Samson have his fling. They let him rest. And sin has a way of staying its hand until a time that it can entangle us. I read another quote by author unknown. It says this, the the chains of sin are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. The chains of sin are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. Listen, you may not feel entangled by your sin at the moment. and You begin living this ungodly life and you say, well, see, sin doesn't sting. Sin doesn't hurt. It doesn't do all this. I'm having the time of my life according to the flesh. But the Bible says sin is fun for a season, but in due time you will reap if you faint not. See, guess what sin's going to do? It's going to lay in wait. It's going to compass you about on every side, try to trap you in, lay in wait for you. And you're not going to feel the sting for years, but eventually it'll catch up to you and enslave you. Eventually, it's going to surround you, come coming closer and closer and closer until finally it's got you. If you ask the alcoholic if he feels the sting of liquor, just ask him about it. I've told this illustration before. There was a homeless man that I uh, dealt with when I was a police officer in the city of Winchester, and uh, his name was Stephen, and Stephen was younger than I was at the time, and uh, he had, uh, at the age of 18, became a successful contractor, uh, worked really hard, went up through the ranks, man, got all kinds of stuff. And I talked to him one day, uh, the first, only one time in four years I talked to him, he was sober, one time. And as I was talking to him, I was like, Stephen, man, you're in your early 20s, why don't you get a job, why don't you do something, get off the streets, man, just just do something with your life. And I'll never forget Miss Janice, what he told me, he said, you know... He said, there was a time, he said, when I was 18, he began to tell me the story that he became a successful contractor and uh, was working hard, had a house, a wife, a, a kid, and man had four-wheelers and boats and everything he could, man, just making all kinds of money, doing a, a great job. Well, he came home from work one day, brother, he to find his wife with another man at home. And here's what he told me. These were his exact quote. He said this. He said, you know what, Officer Caldwell, he said, I turned to alcohol because of my problem. He said, an alcohol became my problem. And so if you you would have asked Stephen in his life, is it worth it? He'd say, absolutely not. Because he lost everything that he had. Why? Because he turned to try to find something to give him comfort that only God could bring comfort from. He tried to find temporary delights without seeing Satan's eternal disasters. And when he began to toy with this temptation of going out here and just washing it all away, guess what happened? He ended up living on the streets. We found Stephen, uh, the next winter. We had a bad winter. Nobody had seen him for a while. We thought maybe he got put in jail or something like that just to get off the streets and be warm or live somewhere else. Well, we found him when the snow melted. He had drank so much, passed out and froze to death. And you think, what a waste. Of somebody's life. Somebody's so young. Why did this happen? I'll tell you why, because of Gaza. And look, hey, you know what? This is what's going to help me. No. Not what's going to help you. God's what's going to help you. There's so many people, if you were to ask them, was it worth it? You young people, listen, if you're contemplating going out into sin, why don't you start talking to some of the adults that have been there? Start talking to some of the adults that have been to Gaza before. And ask them, is it worth it? You know what they're going to tell you? No. Run from it. Turn away from it. Just like the Bible says, pass away. Turn away from it. Why? Because Satan will show you the temporary delights without showing you the eternal consequences. So there's the compassing work of sin, the composure of the work of sin. But let's do what it says, the concealing work of sin. It said they were quiet all night. It's a concealing work. Listen, many times sin is quiet in regards to its work. It advertises itself very deceitfully. Oh, it doesn't, Satan doesn't broadcast it. Look at this sin, come do this. Don't you want to ruin your life? He doesn't advertise it that way. You know, he says, hey man, it's just one thing. Just one little thing. Just head in the wrong direction. Nobody—it's your life, man. Nobody's going to know you're an adult. You're fine. Oh, you don't have to go to church all the time. That's just—that's for older people. You got your whole life ahead of you. But the fact of the matter is, life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanisheth away. Satan tries to conceal it. Listen, sin wants us to believe that it's peaceful and offers no threat. You know what? Samson was there, and you know what they did? They just let him have his fun. Oh, there's no threat to Samson, is there? Oh, yeah, they were coming around to get him. They can pass him about. They were lying in wait. They were quiet all night. There's some promo- promoters that present alcohol as fun and gambling as a great thing and all of these things that, oh, you gamble, you win all these mega millions. Guess what? That's going to be your savior not going to be your savior you know how many times you read the statistics that a lot of people that win the lottery guess what they're broke in a year and a half two years you know why because it's a terrible master it's a terrible master the bible says the love of money is the root of all evil and it says piercing them even to sorrows am i against somebody that has money no i think if you use it as a proper tool it can be a great great servant you can do a lot of wonderful things but the fact of the matter is Oftentimes people are just, that's their God, and it just controls them, controls them. The pleasures are put on the front page, but guess what? The penalties are put on the back page. You know what? With sin, the pleasures are put there on the front, but they don't tell you to read the fine print. Just so you all know. Uh, my wife and I, are uh, we, we we do the Dave Ramsey thing. We like uh, to do all of that. And you know what he always talks about? And if you have credit cards, I'm not dogging on you. But he always talks about the credit cards because guess what? People don't read the fine print. That, yeah, you use it and they, you forget about the 700% interest that's on it, you know, and all of those things. And he talks about, you know why? Because they don't read the fine print. But the fact is, with sin, you see the pleasure. Oh, wow, look how great it is. But you forgot to turn to the back page and read the penalty situation. That when you get involved in this, this is what happens. You understand that when you do something wrong, the consequences are inevitable, incalculable, and up to God. Once you make that choice, the consequences of it are up to God. Sometimes there's loss of jobs, sometimes bill collectors, broken marriages. Accidents that could have been avoided. Different things that happen. The list goes on and on. But sin is always quiet about its true character. Makes it more effective. That's what makes sin so effective. Is he doesn't broadcast the penalties. If I were to tell you, you know what, Brother Eddie, I'm going to give you $100 a day for the rest of your life. But the penalty to this is is that you have to um, pay me in return 300% interest every day. You'd be like, no, thank you. I'll go find a deal somewhere else. But if I say, brother, here's $100 every day. Why don't you just sign right here? Oh, man, that's great. And then all of a sudden, hey, where's my interest? What are you talking about interest? You didn't say nothing to me about interest. Well, did you not read? You signed your name to this paper. And look at the bottom line, and it's back here where you need a a telescope to even look at it, but it says, I will pay in return 300% of what I borrowed and what I took. The fact of the matter is, that's what sin does. Oh, you'll have a good time, you'll look at it, but guess what? The consequence over here. If you knew what was on the end of your spiritual path, guess what? You'd never enter it. If you knew what was on the end of your, I'm sorry, your sinful path, you'd never enter it. If you knew what the outcome was going to be, you'd have never started it. You know what you'd have done? You'd avoided it. But let me tell you, God can tell you what's at the end of it. God can tell you what's at the end of it. And you know what he says? Pass away from it. Avoid it. Don't go that direction. Why? Because I don't want you to have to experience what's on the inside of that. Because sin will destroy us. Will destroy us. And then there's this, the mindset of sin here is the conquering work of sin. They said this, we shall kill him. That was their intention. Their intention wasn't just to bind him and make him grind at the millstone. That wasn't just their intention. Their intention was to kill Samson. And that's what sin And that's what Satan's intention is. By the way, when Adam sinned in the garden, the Bible said that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So what is the consequence of sin? It's death. Death. See, we're born into this death because of sin. All of us are. We're born into this death because of sin. But we... We understand that we destroy ourselves spiritually and we're dead Christians, dead believers in Christ because of it once we've gotten saved. If we don't get away from sin, it conquers us. The end work of sin is death. But you know what? In 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there are a lot of gazes out there that Satan wants us to enter in and have the wrong look, the wrong location, the wrong direction. But let's put on the brakes. Let's stop. Let's be sober and be vigilant. Looking around. Well, hold on a second. It may look good. It may have good wells. It may have a lot of uh, sustenance that looks good. But guess what? It's decaying from the inside. It's decaying from the inside. You know what sin does? It hurts our happiness. It pulverizes our peace. It mutilates our marriages, chokes our churches, squelches our spirits. That's what sin does. But in 1 Corinthians 15, O death wears thy sting. Oh, grave, where's thy victory? That sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But again, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? There was some deliverance that happened in verse 3 because of God's grace. God woke Samson up and said, hey, Amen, you did the wrong thing. You better get out of here. And he took the gate off the hinges and carried the post of it and everything out of there. And we'll talk about that more a little bit next week. But I'm talking about toying with temptation tonight. You say, preacher, why are we talking about this? It just seems like through the book of Judges, there was a lot of stuff that happened here. You know why? Because they kept turning away from God, kept turning away from God, kept turning away from God, and they toyed with temptation. And guess what happened? They got bit every time. Every time. You know, there's been times that I've put my hand in front of a dog's mouth, and guess what? I never got bit. There's been times that I put my hand in front of a cat and I never got bit. But you know what? There's never been a time I've never, there's been, I've messed with snakes before. Every time I put something in front of its face, guess what it does? It strikes at it. That's the nature of a serpent. You understand, you mess with Satan. Oh, he's not just going to try to get away from you. You know what he's going to do? He's going to bite you. He's going to bite you. And we need to just understand this. You toy with temptation, there's going to be tragedy. But you begin to resist it, and Satan will flee from you. You know when the serpent begins to go away? When you start hitting at him with that stick. You start poking at him, get out of here. He starts trying to get away. Get back to his little hole. And listen, we need to start taking our spiritual stick. And going after Satan. And saying you know what? You can't have my family anymore. You're not going to have me anymore. I'm not going to go down that route. I'm going to make a choice tonight. That I'm not going to toy with temptation. When temptation comes. I'm going to say guess what Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. And I'm going to combat Satan with scripture. And guess what you'll find. You'll find victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed.